Well, I greet you all in Jesus' name this morning. It's been very good to be in the house of God and to uh, worship the Lord together. I was very blessed with uh, what we've heard so far. It does uh, fit in very well with what the message the Lord laid on my heart. I would invite you to turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 17 verses 5 through 8 for our opening uh, text here this morning. Jeremiah 17, verses 5 through 8. Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. For he shall be like the heath in the desert, and shall not see when good cometh, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness in a salt land, and not inhabited. Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord, and whose hope the Lord is. For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters, and that spreadeth out her roots by the river, and shall not see when heat cometh, but her leaf shall be green, and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit." We'll stop reading there. Now this introduces uh, a bit of the subject that I want to speak about this morning. The passage here is very simple. It's fairly easy to understand. And it contrasts the uh, condition of a person, one who does not fear the Lord, trusteth in the flesh, his heart departs from God, he is like the heath of the desert. And that word heath we may not be as familiar with, but it has the picture of a very um, scrubby kind of bush. A small plant that lives, or we might even look at it as simply survives, in the wilderness. As contrasted with the man who puts his trust in the Lord and in, whose hope is in the Lord, he's like that tree, big, flourishing, uh, one that doesn't, uh, isn't troubled by difficulties, and does not cease from yielding fruit. It is a fruitful tree in contrast to that scrubby little 
not much of anything of no value that survives in the wilderness. If you've ever traveled out west, uh, out there it's called sagebrush. It would have to be something similar to this heath, I suppose, at least in, in context. It's, I mean, what good is sagebrush? I don't know. Maybe Andrew knows of some remote use for sagebrush, but it's, you know, you don't, uh, I mean, I think maybe the cattle, I don't know what they do with it, but it's not like it's lush pasture for cattle. It's, you know, it, but it survives in the wilderness. But in the context of this passage, it's simply using that as an example, or as we would say, a picture, a word picture, of a reality in spiritual things. And the question for us today is, which one of these represents you? In your spiritual life, are you like that shrub in the desert that's barely hanging on? Or are you a tree that is flourishing, that is fruitful, that is pleasant to be around, that is able to minister to others? You know, if you were in the heat of the day and heat of the battle, would you seek refuge under a tree or under the sagebrush? Well, not much question. We'd prefer the tree. Much more comfortable. There's fruit to be had. Well, the Lord looks upon us and we're either one or the other. Or we're becoming one or the other. And the contrast here, he says, is the man that trusteth in the Lord. So what does it mean to trust in the Lord? Well, there are a number of aspects of trusting in the Lord. We had one example here this morning in the children's lesson. Children, do you remember what it was to trust in the Lord? When you have a burden, something difficult in your life, you can turn to the Lord and find refuge for your heart. You can find rest. Uh, you can find comfort and safety. Well, that's one aspect of trusting in the Lord, certainly an important one. But the matter of trusting in the Lord goes much farther than that. And what I would like to share this morning is that trusting in the Lord to be the Lord, to be our counselor and our guide, is a little more in the line of what I want to share this morning, if you were to liken it, say, to a map, if you were needing to go somewhere and you had a map, you would put your trust, so to speak, in the map to be accurate to show you where to go. Well, so if we look to the Lord and trust in the Lord as our counselor, the one who gives us our directions in life, we can trust the outcome to him. We know we'll get there 
at the right place and we can be like the tree that's planted by the waters. Now a lot of what I want to share this morning has been a burden on my heart for a long time and I've often struggled how to share it or where because and this is one of the one of the facts I guess or truths of this kind of message is that because of its nature those among my audience who may need it the most it is likely they will benefit the least and those who need it the least will probably appreciate it the most it's just the nature of things and I think you'll probably understand by the time I'm done why that is so I'd like to point out several details in this passage in the first part where it talks about the heath of the desert and and this is a parallel to our spiritual life okay let's just keep that foremost in our mind we're using a word picture here to describe spiritual realities it says he shall be like the heath in the desert and shall not see when good cometh. Uh Uh-oh. How is it, how is it that a person who may think they have a hard lot in life cannot even see when good cometh? Isn't that kind of backwards? Well, there's a reality, there's a spiritual reality that those who are not putting their trust in the Lord will have difficulty to even see the good that is right in front of them. And it doesn't have to do with their circumstances per se, it has to do with the attitude of the heart. Well, let's compare that, what he says then, about the tree planted by the waters It says, her leaf shall be green and shall not be careful in the year of drought. Oh, really? Okay, so circumstances are troubling. Drought, lack of water. You would think that would turn you into this little shrubby desert plant. But no, if you're like that tree, that green tree, you shall not even be troubled in drought. The exact opposite of that heath in the desert. The heath in the desert can't even see when good cometh. But the tree is not even troubled when grief and trial come, but is able to endure and still bear fruit. How can it be? Well, The principle is stated a number of times in Scripture. In the New Testament, it talks about the land that receives rain 
And it tells us clearly that God sends rain on the just and on the unjust. But on the one land, it's that which brings forth briars and thorns. That's all it produces, even though it gets good rain. And then over here, that same rain brings forth fruit out of the fruitful ground. How is that? It's because of the condition of the soil and by comparison, the condition of the heart. There is a, a, uh, a condition, a life condition. It's what we are that determines what is going to come forth. Because rain falls on the just and on the unjust. And in this case, there's a difference between that scrubby plant in the desert that's just maybe surviving and the tree that's flourishing. And what is the difference? It's not the circumstances directly. It's a condition. Now it's up to us in, in one sense. I'm, now I know this is a cooperation with God. Don't, don't get me wrong here. There is an operation of God indeed, but we are also responsible to cultivate the land into a fruitful condition. There's an example which I'm sure some of you know. Perhaps it uh, came to my attention a few years back when Brother Michael was considering going to Haiti and researching a bit of his uh, line of work in that of agriculture and teaching the people, helping them. And he came across this uh, farmer, and I believe it was in the Dakotas maybe, North Dakota, that changed the accepted practice of cultivation and was able to transform the land from a nearly barren land that could scarcely retain rainfall and by careful cultivation and good practices he was able to get the land to a condition where it would accept rain. And it was so remarkable, if I remember the numbers anywhere close to reality, I think the, the land was capable of accepting about a half an inch of rain in, a, in an hour or several hours, whatever. But after his careful cultivation, he was able to get the land to where it could absorb and utilize four to six inches of rain in that space, same space of time, vastly increasing its capacity to absorb what came its way. Do you think there's a spiritual reality? There is. It's clearly pointed out here. The heath in the desert can't even see when good comes. But the tree that is prepared and flourishing is not even troubled in drought. Now, the difference here in this passage is that of trusting in the Lord. 
But what aspect of trusting in the Lord are we talking about here? Well, I have several different points. I struggle to know whether they're even different points or whether they're all just different ways of looking at the same thing, but the Scripture addresses it at least several different ways. So I'm going to speak on those points. And I'd like for you to to understand as I go through this that we are talking about not deeds or specific actions directly, but we're talking about a condition of the heart. And I, I put it this way, an heart that is easily taught, quick to obey, is that condition that enables you to become like the tree. But if your heart is not easily taught, not quick to obey, then you will be like that scrubby little plant in the desert. You're not going to flourish. Spiritually, there needs to be in your heart and life a softness to receive instruction. Let's look at several passages here. The first in Psalm 32, verses 8 and 9. Psalm 32, 8 and 9. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go, I will guide thee with mine eye. Be ye not as the horse or as the mule, which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with bit and bridle, lest they come near unto thee. Now God is saying, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. And we say, oh, yes, thank you, Lord. And he says, I will guide thee with mine eye. And a translation of that could also be rendered, mine eye shall be upon thee. So God's eye is upon us. He is careful to show us, teach us, guide us. But... Be ye not as the horse or as the mule, which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with bit and bridle. So it's addressing directly the condition of the heart that is here to receive instruction. Is your heart going to be like the horse or the mule that's got to have a bit and a bridle to keep it? Wants to go this way, no, 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 come, you know, go this way, and then I want to go this, no, 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 back here. Or is it by contrast a heart that's soft and easily guided? The Lord looks down, he's looking on you, Lord, which way do you want me to go? Okay. And you go, and he can 
you seek to understand the eyes of the Lord which are upon you and you desire to be taught of him and you go that way. You don't have to be wrestled back into line and because you want to go the right way. Very contrasting condition of the heart. And it is of utmost importance if we expect to be useful in God's kingdom is that we have a tender heart that's willing to be instructed. That's what God is looking for. Proverbs 26.3 I'll turn there to read that. Proverbs 26.3, a whip for the horse, a bridle for the ass, and a rod for the fool's back. That sounds pretty harsh, doesn't it? Well, yeah, it is harsh. A fool, if you study that out in scripture, is one who won't, he won't, Receive instruction. Um, a man that's wise in his own conceit is, or how does it say, a fool is wiser in his own conceit than ten men that can render a reason. He, he knows it all already. But the scripture calls such a man a fool. And it likens it to a whip for the horse and a bridle for the ass. He has to be corrected. He has to be brought back into line. He's got to be restrained at every turn. Why? Because he wants to go his own way. But now back to our text there in Jeremiah. I'd like to draw from several other passages in Jeremiah first one in that same chapter. So we're in chapter 17. And verse 23. And in this context, he's talking about them heeding God's instructions about the Sabbath day. Very very specific. But in verse 23 it says, But they obeyed not, neither inclined their ear, but made their neck stiff, that they might not hear, nor receive instruction. Now there's, again, some interesting word pictures here. They obeyed not, that's pretty specific, but then here's the word picture. Neither inclined their ear. Now what does it mean to incline the ear? It means to have a disposition to receive and a readiness to not only hear sounds, but to be guided by it. 
If I'm inclined to do something thus or so, and we will use that term, you understand it well, if you would say, well, I'm inclined to choose this path, we know that this is my preference, my, my desire is going this direction. That's exactly what it's saying here. Inclining the ear is to want to hear the word of the Lord. Want to go that way. Want to be careful to get the most out of it. But made their neck stiff. Now again, he's, it's a, if a picture, a word picture, a figure of speech. You're not going to, you're not going to be turned. You know, stiff-necked. Obstinate. I'll do my own thing. That's how the Lord saw their heart inclined away, not toward Him. Obstinate. Well, very similar words earlier in Jeremiah chapter 7. Let's turn there. Verse 22, For I spake not unto your fathers, nor commanded them in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt concerning burnt offerings or sacrifices, but this thing commanded I them, saying, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and ye shall be my people, and walk ye in all the ways that I have commanded you, that it may be well unto you. I'll just... Pause here for a moment. He's saying that he didn't get really detailed or he didn't tell them about sacrifices and offerings. Though he did later give them instructions, clear instructions, and expected them to do those. But before that, before he even gave those commandments, he simply said... This is what I commanded you, obey my voice, and I will be your God. Verse 24, but they hearkened not, nor inclined their ear, but walked in the counsels and in the imagination of their evil heart, and went backward and not forward. Since the day that your fathers came forth out of the land of Egypt, unto this day I have even sent unto you all my servants the prophets, daily rising up early and sending them. Yet they hearkened not unto me, nor inclined their ear, but hardened their neck. They did worse than their fathers. Therefore thou shalt speak all these words unto them, but they will not hearken unto thee. Thou shalt also call unto them, But they will not answer thee. But thou shalt say unto them, This is a nation that obeyeth not the voice of the Lord their God, nor receiveth correction. Truth is perished and is cut off from their mouth. Truth 
is perished. Why? Why did truth perish? Is because they did not incline their ear. They refused to obey that which they had been told to do. Now God looks at this thing of obedience very seriously. Not really a popular message in this day and age, but God wants obedience. And he's not looking for that obedience to be forced upon you with a whip or with a bridle that wrestles with you daily to make you go the right way. No. God is looking for a people who will incline their ear and will say, yes, Lord, I want to obey. And when you cultivate that inclining of the ear, that carefulness to obey, you will be like that tree that's planted by the water. You can handle stresses that come in your life because your heart is set to go God's way. You have put your trust in the Lord. You are trusting that obedience matters and it's important to God. And that allows you to handle stresses. But in contrast, if you harden yourself, don't incline your ear, make a stiff neck, requires the bit and the bridle to make you go the right way, your life is going to be just like that little shrub that's just hardened. It's not going anywhere. just kind of sits there. And you can't even see when good comes your way. God's promises go like this. I will pour water upon him that is thirsty. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Yes, God sends the rain upon the just and on the unjust. Some is land that just brings forth briars. Some is just like the desert, and other is the fruitful field. But God's promises are to those who are thirsty, those who have cultivated themselves to incline their ear to the Lord. There's a very important passage in John chapter 7. This is the Gospel of John, words of Jesus Chapter 7, verse 15. It says, And the Jews marveled. Well, let me, let's get the previous verse, verse 14. Now about the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. And the Jews marveled, saying, 
How knoweth this man letters, having never learned? Now, let me just explain what their question was. Jesus taught, it was obvious that he had a some divine power. Something was different about how he taught. There was power with it. There was, there was unction. There was authority, it says in another place. And they marveled and they thought, well, how can this be? This, he didn't come from the learned schools. He didn't have masters teaching him. Where did he get this? This is strange. That, that was how they thought. You know, this has to be given by some great teacher. Well, Jesus says this, verse 16, Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. He shall know of the doctrine. And that word know has a wide range of meaning. And among them is the concept of understanding, receiving knowledge, of being taught even. Um, not necessarily just to intuitively know, but to be receiving uh, further revelation or knowledge, it shall be revealed to you. So if we do His will, our understanding is enlightened. We receive more. And we begin to understand So you see how important that attitude, that disposition, that inclination toward God, the posture of our heart is so important to determine whether we will be fruitful for God or no. Now let's look at another point in Scripture. This is found in Psalm 1, verse 1. And many of you could, I'm sure, could quote it by memory. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. And what I want from this is the phrase, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. And we're going to look at what it means uh, to be scornful, but the admonition here is not, not to be found in the seat of the scornful. Interestingly enough, he goes on to talk about the one who delights in the law of the Lord, and again, he's like that tree that's planted by the rivers of waters. His leaf also shall not wither, 
he, he won't be careful when drought comes. It's, there is sustenance there to keep him in times of trouble, but he cannot be sitting in the seat of the scornful. What does it mean to be scornful? Well, scornful means to mock. And literally, it was derived from someone imitating or mocking the speech of another, like someone with a foreign tongue. And we can maybe sometimes have a little humor trying to mimic or copy. That's the concept. But you take that now and put it to spiritual things or to other people and realize that God is not pleased when we have this attitude of scorn toward others or toward instruction or toward reproof even. Just kind of a turning of the lip. That attitude of, uh, I don't need it. Just done with it. I'm, you know. And let's look in Proverbs at what it says about the scornful. If you turn to, let's, and I'm just going to read a number of verses here. So turn with me to Proverbs chapter 1, verse 22, and we'll just go sequentially through a handful of verses here. Proverbs 1, 22. How long, ye simple ones, will ye love simplicity? And the scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. Now this would seem to be so backwards, and it is. How long, ye simple ones, that would be the uneducated. How long will you delight in being uneducated? You know, that just doesn't make sense. You ought to delight in educating yourself. Well, and the scorners delight in their scorning. If you scorn, well, there you sit. And that's all you're going to accomplish. Because you're going to be just like that little scrubby sage plant that doesn't amount to anything. It's just out in the wasteland by itself. And you know it. You don't need to be instructed. You already have your mind made up. Okay, there you are. If you're not going to be instructed and tender toward that instruction, you will, you'll, you know, that, that's where you sit. You're not going to grow into a tree and flourish. Okay, chapter 3, verse 34. Surely he scorneth the scorners, but giveth grace unto the lowly. Humble yourself and say, yes, please instruct me. He scorneth the scorners. Okay, chapter 9, verse 12. 
If thou be wise, thou shalt be wise for thyself, but if thou scornest, thou alone shalt bear it. And this is in context of the fear of the Lord. Two verses prior, verse 10, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. For by me thy days shall be multiplied, and the years of thy life shall be increased. And if thou be wise, thou shalt be wise for thyself. You will profit from a flourishing tree. But if thou scornest, Thou alone shalt bear it. You're going you're gonna to suffer the consequences if you scorn. Chapter 13, verse 1. A wise son heareth his father's instruction, but a scorner heareth not rebuke. Chapter 14, verse 6. A scorner seeketh wisdom and findeth it not. But knowledge is easy unto him that understandeth. Chapter 15, verse 12. A scorner loveth not one that reproveth him. Neither will he go unto the wise. And then in verse or chapter twenty one, verse twenty four. Proud and haughty scorner is his name who dealeth in proud wrath. Scorn puts you in an environment that is like the desert. There's just no growth. You're not going to flourish. You're not going to Gain wisdom and knowledge if you resist, if you scorn, if you ah, I don't need it. I know better. Nah, it's, they're just picking on me. You know that scorn, don't want to hear it. The ear that heareth the reproof of life abideth among the wise. We need counsel and instruction. Well, the last point is that the scripture admonishes us to not be self-willed. And let's look at two places in the New Testament First one is in Titus 1, verse 7. Verse 
Just giving the qualifications for a bishop here, it says, For a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, and so on. But among the things that a, a bishop should not be is self-willed. Now, our culture, um, our culture almost makes a god out of self-will as being the ideal. It's encouraged, it's lauded and praised, it's the resistance. You will not be my president because, well, you know, <laughs> you know how that goes. I will do it myself. The one who is self-assured and I can make my own way. Nobody needs to tell me what to do. Oh, that is so anti-Christian. It just, it puts you like the heath in the desert. You will not flourish with that spirit Let's look at another one, 2 Peter 2, verse 10. It says, But chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government, presumptuous are they, Self-willed, they are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. In the context, he's talking about false prophets, deceivers, those who bring in damnable heresies and so on. And he goes through warning against those who forsook God, the ungodly in the days of Noah and, and those who perished in Sodom and Gomorrah, and so on. In that context, he warns against those who are self-willed. And it's talking about those who are, they despise government. You're not afraid to speak evil of dignities. There's an arrogance there. Just a spirit of, I don't need to be under you. I, there's 20 reasons why you're not fit to be my leader. Those kind of attitudes. Um, Jesus, in the, one of the parables, he talked about the vineyard being let out to husbandmen who were expected to 
take care of the vineyard and to return to the goodman of the house, the fruits thereof. But, but they rose up in their hearts and said, we will not have this man to reign over us. That was the arrogant, we're not going to listen, we'll do it our way, I don't need you. And when the prophets came and exhorted them, they beat them, cast them out. And likewise, in our original text there in Jeremiah, we read how when God said they would not listen, they refused to hear my voice, he said, I sent the prophets daily speaking unto them, and they would not hear. You see, God doesn't just speak with an audible voice from heaven. As we might deceive ourselves into thinking, oh, I'm just fine with God telling me what to do, but I'm not fine to be under subjection to this individual or these people or, you know, I don't want a church telling me. I, I'm going out here to do it my way. You will not prosper. It's a promise in God's word. You will not prosper with that attitude. None of us live unto ourselves or die unto ourselves. We belong in a body. We need to receive instruction. We need to have a heart that's willing to receive instruction. Not self-willed. So I've given three points here, or are they three? Maybe they're all one. You see how they all, they do blend together, though it's spoken of in different ways. But we have a responsibility to cultivate a heart that is inclined toward the Lord. And that means a heart that is desiring and listening for the voice of the Lord. It's not scornful. It's not the attitude that just brushes away reproof and says, I don't need it. I don't want it. I've, I can go my own way. It's not self-willed. It has the heart of Jesus that says, I do always those things that please the Father. And we have our ear inclined to hear. And many times that voice comes through the teachers, the prophets, my authorities, the people that I'm under, maybe even the brethren in the church, that I'm to submit myself to, God reminds us that we need to 
heed his voice. I would just challenge us to think deeply about these things and to ask ourselves, so where am I before God? Because, again, we're talking about a condition. A, um, we're not talking just about a specific deed or a specific event. We're talking about a condition. And as we saw very clearly in our text, it's not even so directly dependent on my circumstances. Because we, we like to make many excuses. We say, well, if I was just in a better church, then I could flourish. Or... If my lot in life was just not so difficult, then I could then I could flourish. Or I have this one person in my life and it's their fault. No, that's that's not straight thinking. Because if we have this attitude in our heart of resistance, of scorn, of self-will, not having our ear inclined diligently to the Lord, well, we're not in a position to even receive the good that comes our way. We'll be just like that shrubby plant that even when it gets rain, it can't really do much with it because it's hardened, it's set, it's, it's just... Never going to be that tree because there's no ability to even take in what, what it could. So it's very important for us to cultivate a heart. It's one of those principles that are true in in the spiritual life. Uh, and we, we can't ignore it and expect that, that it'll come out well. Well, may the Lord bless you with that.